0: Part one, chapter nine of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathleen. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part one, chapter nine. Her first false step. None of these children can be said to have had any real childhood those summers together there appeared to have been two of them provided about all they ever had in the way of playmates of their own age the opening of each amusement season found them back on the road trooping with grown-up players as companions naturally they did not go to school not during those earlier years but picked up such rudiments of instruction as it was possible to acquire in stuffy badly lighted dressing-rooms in jolting day-coaches and in casual nooks and corners of the world's worst hotels i cannot speak for the others but i am sure that lillian and dorothy had very little in the way of regular schooling until they were in or near their teens had it been otherwise they would have been quite certain i think to remember it was during this period that the jerry society became their boogeyman they did not know what it was but only that it was something likely to grab them in any strange city in a dark hall or alley as they entered or left the theatre it would take them out of the theatre they were told so they would not be able to earn money any more and maybe put them into an institution which was a terrible sounding word to mary gish it was a very real menace for she knew that she would have hard work convincing the jury officers that her children were getting proper care and education playing six nights and two matinees a week sleeping and eating in that sketchy fashion of the road they did not linger on the street they did not show themselves more than necessary especially in the larger towns lillian many years later wrote before i could understand what it was all about i knew of subterfuges and evasions and tremendous plottings to keep myself and my sister acting so that very necessary money might be earned their safety lay in their obscurity had they been with important companies playing finer theatres they would hardly have escaped the season of nineteen o three to four remains to lillian and dorothy the most memorable for a very good reason they were together and their mother was with them for the time at least mary gish's dream had come true she had secured parts for her little girls and herself in the same company her own part and dorothy's were small but would more than pay expenses dorothy was a news girl who sold evening pipers lillian's part was a very good one their combined salaries were forty-five dollars per week the play was her first false step another fierce melodrama only in this one lillian instead of being nearly blown up was within an ace of being devoured by savage african lions being rescued by the brave hero barely in the nick of time there were two of the lions and they were really savage for later when they were sold to a circus one of them tore out a keeper's arm there was a provision however against accidents the lions were in a cage in which there was a sliding division so cunningly arranged that even those who sat in the front rows could not see it at the instant when the noble hero leaps into the cage and drags out the little victim child of the woman he loves while every eye is riveted on this deed of daring the invisible partition is drawn back from behind the lions rush in roaring and leaping about wild at being deprived of their prey for at that very instant too the cage door is slammed shut it was truly a terrible spectacle women in the audience sometimes fainted once when the safety slide had not yet been slipped into place one of the lions took up a position at the wrong end of the cage and refused to budge the villain with lion in his arms had twice vowed he would fling her to the beasts and was ready to vow again when somebody behind the scenes had an inspiration two men from the wings rushed upon the villain while the fierce struggle for the child held the audience the stage hands persuaded the line to be reasonable the heroine in her first false step was a tall handsome woman helen ray lillian and dorothy played her two little girls in one scene dorothy and her mother are out in the snow as lillian rushes in to find them she has a lollipop for dorothy who claps her hands with joy while lillian kneels by miss ray saying oh mother what are you doing out here in the cold snow often it was cold enough too the air not the snow the latter was swept up every night to be used at the next performance sometimes other things were swept up with it and were likely to hit them on the head nails bits of wood a little dry mouse a real romance goes with the fall step season one with a happy ever after ending in one of the larger towns a young actor from another company came to a matinee and was much struck by the beauty of helen ray whom he had never met that night he managed to come again and next day at rehearsal time was lingering around the stage entrance dorothy with a beloved teddy bear was playing just outside he struck up an acquaintance with her and was invited in to see her other possessions a very few minutes later he had met helen ray when the season had ended they were married at last accounts they were still married and happy after more than twenty-five years lillian and dorothy at the theatre before the others had diversions of their own both dearly loved lemon sticks especially if oranges went with them to suck orange juice through a lemon stick was pure delight they would run across the dressing-room and jam their oranges against the wall in a corner of the first act set they would set up a playhouse they did not play at acting like other children they would put on long dresses and play at keeping house having a home when it came time for the performance they hurried not very eagerly to change into the costumes required for their parts they were not unhappy they did not reflect much whether they liked what they were doing or not they just did it the parts they played were always sad pathetic but not more so than their lives they did not know that but their mother did if one might have looked into mary gish's heart at this time just what would one have found there chiefly of course devotion to her children thought of their immediate welfare and needs after that was it to equip them for the career of actresses a life which unless they were at the top was hardly to be called enviable and even at its best was one of impermanent triumphs and fitful rewards she knew pretty well that with their special kind of beauty which each day she saw develop their flair for subtle phases of human portrayal given health they could count on at least reasonable success did she greatly desire that i think not i think she considered it but that her real purpose was to keep her children and herself on the stage only until by close the very closest economy She had saved enough to establish herself in a permanent business which would give them a home where they could go to school and grow into normal or what she regarded as normal womanhood. I think the old prejudice which she had shared with her family as to the theatre did not die easily, and that for years she felt herself more or less beyond the pale, willing to stay there only because it meant a livelihood with the possibility of something better, something with a home in it, not too far ahead we shall see the efforts she made in this direction by and by and what came of it how the web of circumstance had its will with her as with us all whatever her plan mary gish saw that she must educate her children herself reared in a town that rather specializes in education she had known the advantage of excellent public schools that her children should have less than herself was a distressing thought from little books at every spare moment she taught them in every town of importance she made it her business to learn what she could of its history its population its industries and of these she told them in as interesting a form as she could invent in the south she told them of the war when it was possible showed them landmarks often taking them on little excursions in one city she had a special interest chattanooga where an uncle a captain mcconnell had been killed in the battle above the clouds when she found they had time there, she took the children for a drive up lookout mountain, telling them the story as they went along and Then a remarkable thing happened: They came to a tablet by the roadside and paused to read the inscription. It was a tablet to Captain McConnell commemorating his bravery. She did not hold them to schoolbooks; she read them story-books or allowed an actor named Strickland, Uncle High, in the play because he was so tall to read to them from black beauty which was their favorite and grimm's and anderson's fairy tales in a seat on the train when all were awake at once or during a wait in a station oh anywhere uncle high was faithful and those little girls never ceased to remember it uncle high was really very tall six feet six and skinny as a blue racer according to one of the notices in the play there was a housewarming at which he was one of the guests when uncle High entered lillian the golden-haired grandchild was moved to examine him they stood just at the footlights and very deliberately she looked him up and down until the snickering audience was still then very gravely grandpa what is he standing on a line according to uncle High, that was always a scream Uncle High further remembers that no matter what time of night Lillian and Dorothy had to get out of a warm, comfortable bed to catch a train, or how many times they had to be awakened to change cars, no one ever heard a whimper or complaint from either, and I cannot recall one instance where they ever found any fault with anything, and I never heard their mother speak a cross word to either of them. Lillian was just like a little mother to Dorothy, and looked after her all the time her whole life seemed to be to watch that nothing happened to her little sister and lillian only eight years old she was in fact considerably less mrs gish's skillful handicraft included drawing she had received no art instruction but her pen sketches were exquisite she thought them poor and destroyed them there remains only a watercolour interior subtle in tone atmospheric of a quality that commands immediate attention it seems curious that she should also have had a taste for mechanics delicate mechanics she enjoyed taking a clock apart and putting it together again a clock that did not go was her delight once that winter when they were all together a clock in their room had gone out of commission mary gish examined it then set to work in a brief time she had it on the operating table the pieces here and there dorothy's deep interest may have had something to do with the fact that when she came to assemble them two insignificant bits seemed to be missing never mind the clock would go on without them it would go but with a gay indifference to time and every little while made queer noises in its inside lillian and dorothy in bed in that room laughed themselves to sleep listening to its complaints they found amusement where they could The situation was so often barren enough. Once remembering, Lillian said, Sometimes the theater was very poor, and the dressing rooms nearly always bad. Even to this day they could be better. Some were worse than others. At a theater in Chicago, a theater of the second or third class, a good way out, the dressing rooms were in a kind of cellar. There was water on the floor. We had to walk on boards. I remember the big, black water bugs mother had to shake out our dresses before we put them on the jury society was very strict in chicago we hardly dared to show ourselves outside the theater and hotel four or five years later when i was perhaps twelve and we were there again mother put me into long skirts and high heels so that i could look sixteen and reduce the risk i felt very proud to be grown up in that sudden way but the winter travel was hardest one town they were to play could be reached only from a junction six miles distant that night a terrible blizzard came up and the company quite a large one had to be driven cross-country in big farm sleighs bedded with straw it was terribly cold their feet became ice and when they arrived the train was five hours late the place was just a telegraph office the little girls were allowed to stretch out on the desks which were sloping members of the company took turns holding them from rolling off the problem of food was a serious one especially in the smaller towns of the middle west dorothy was robust and seemed to thrive on anything lillian needed better fare dorothy and i lived when we could on ice cream and cake mother would give us fifteen cents and we would spend ten cents for ice cream half vanilla and half chocolate with the other five we bought ladyfingers we mixed the cream stirred the two kinds together and made mashed potatoes then we spread it on the lady fingers it does not seem very substantial nor an over plentiful allowance they were being very economical trying to get a little money ahead at one wonderful restaurant in some western town they were able to get a meal for ten cents just one place like that soup meat potatoes and a piece of pie perhaps it was not very good but it seemed good to them and two places in the south good negro cooking at richmond and norfolk we went to boarding-houses where we had chicken and ham at one meal and sweet potatoes and gingerbread nothing could be better than that we were always happy when we were going to those places and there was a park in one of those towns where there were squirrels we bought peanuts and they would hurry up to be fed there was another place it was in new haven that dorothy and i looked forward to in the hall next the dressing rooms was a small sliding door or window and beyond it an ice-cream salon we could knock on the magic door and it would open and a chocolate ice-cream soda be handed through you can't imagine how wonderful that seemed to us like something out of fairyland then there was a place in philadelphia an automat the only one we had ever seen it was the delight of our hearts we were willing to walk miles to get to it philadelphia was remembered for another reason a considerable number of newsboys attended a matinee of her first false step and hissed the villain and cheered the brave hero and the two little heroines in good orthodox fashion at the end of the play the delegation hurried out and assembled at the back when lillian and dorothy in velveteen hats and coats and patent leather shoes stepped from the stage door they were waited upon by a meek and almost speechless committee of two and presented with two rare bottles of perfume the best five and ten that money could buy the stars bowed and spoke their thanks after which there was something resembling a cheer and an almost uncanny disappearance of their admirers a very serious thing happened at scranton Dorothy awoke one morning with what proved to be scarlet fever. It was not a severe case, but the company, knowing the certainty of quarantine, fled at once, bag and baggage, taking Lillian with them. The hotel faced the station platform, a high one, almost on a level with the windows of Mrs. Gish's room. Lillian, waiting for the train that would take her away from them, could see her mother and Dorothy at the window, waving a tearful goodbye. It seemed as if her heart must break. How long they were separated is not remembered, possibly not more than a fortnight. Dorothy's part was abandoned. Later, she was given the part that had been played by Lillian, and this is curious. Lillian herself had never been at all afraid when she was thrust into the lion's cage, but now that Dorothy had the part, it made her almost frantic when she heard the lions roaring and knew that her little sister was being put in there the season appears to have closed in boston and for whatever reason possibly dorothy was not yet over strong mrs gish went by day coach to new york putting dorothy and lillian into an upper berth in the sleeper they had with them a small dog a boston bull puppy which the stage hands had given them and all night long they took turns sitting up with it one slept while the other watched with more or less success then next morning they were in new york tired but triumphant they were returning from a long season forty weeks and on the whole a successful one two little actresses they were beginning to realize what their work meant it seems unnecessary to speak of the quality of their acting we really know nothing of it we can only assume that like the majority of actors old or young they did just about what they were told and through repetition and because they were intelligent, learned to do it well. They had begun too early to be either awkward or frightened. After the first one or two performances, the people beyond the footlights did not bother them at all. They scarcely knew they were there. Lillian later, I had very little consciousness of the audience in those days. When they applauded or laughed, I hardly noticed it. I remember wondering what they were laughing about. To become an actress, one cannot begin too soon end of part one end of chapter nine